It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show podcast. Love podcast, hate nonsense, <laughs> it's the Polish Joe podcast. Podcast. <laughs> that was... <laughs> oh, sorry about that. That was... I kind of decided that my heart is never in it to screech like Ollie does. So I decided to go for... I said to you, and you didn't understand the reference, I wanted to do it like Scott Aukerman and Comedy Bang Bang, but... Can you not? Because this is going to put Scottish men off of me, and that's like my favourite like genre. He's American. He's American. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Then <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Um, Ava Santino, capital J journalist, not a comedy bang bang fan. How are Hi. you? Oh, you well, I'm I'm great, thank you. How are you, Ed Campbell, bang bang man? <laughs> 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 that's giving me my name straight. <laughs> Ed Campbell. No, bang, wait, bang, wait, man. wait. We had a better one. <laughs> Sean and I. Sean came up with this last week. He was going <laughs> to. What was it? What did you, Sean? What was it? It was like. <laughs> That's right. This is Ed Campbell, the body language expert. My widely discredited body. <laughs> um, God, we've been taking some heat on the Reddit. Absolutely, absolutely, and we won't be addressing it any further. Well, I would just actually like to say that I'm now not looking at it anymore because we had some fun there, guys. But there, there are already. Um, I already get so many ugly direct messages that are actually so heinous to the point someone was like oh, why she's always making fun of the horniness in her DMs I'm not I'm condemning it in a humorous way yeah, I'm he, saying please stop selling, sending me your penises and no one is listening no, to I me no I suppose there is the humiliation element of it as in like there will be people with humiliation kink being like who want you to talk about it yeah I suppose so, but if also if you're them stop doing that like don't do that yeah it's really weird as, as per don't send Ava photos of your penis yeah that's a blanket statement which is attached. Signed off. Yeah. I don't really know, know how we pivot into the next bit. I'm going to flag it. I was looking, thinking, trying to think of a segue about what we're about to talk about. Penis Nadine Dorries. Oh, well, I was going to, I thought we were doing Braverman. Oh, we, we, we're doing Braverman. I was about to jump straight into the... <laughs> okay, fucking hell. We should, this is a discussion we should have had off mic. Um, we've already pre-recorded an interview about Silla Braverman mm. with... No, now we've ruined the magic of television. Well, why do we... Well... We're about to do an interview with friend of the podcast, a work, man who works for... I could, what's, his, what's his title? Um, Matthew Torbett, who works for a Labour MP. Yes, um, But he's also very, very good friend of ours, very good friend of mine, been, been my very good friend now for years and years, actually. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I first, actually... I went, who remember me tell this? I first met Matt when he just turned his life around, like proper, proper... Really? And he'd come to, I was producing someone years ago, we did a live event and he um, stood up and told this story about what, what had been going on in his life. And um, we've been friends ever since. Oh. And you're going to hear that story now. Yeah. So this is Matthew Torbett. And just like that, we're now joined by Matt Torbett. How are you? Afternoon. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, you, are a, you work for a Labour MP? That's true. 
and you're here and Ava's got a disclaimer as well. Matthew is my friend. <laughs> so in the full, <laughs> that is the big disclaimer. Yeah. Also, also Matt's my friend, but you're closer friends. Yeah. Well, now that we've settled that out, yeah, yeah the, the proximity <laughs> that we all have to uh, Matthew Torbett. You and I friends? Uh, wh- look, that's for the readers <laughs> or the listeners to decide. <laughs> people who print off a transcript and read this. Well, I quite like when people in the comments are like, oh, God, Ava hated what Ed just said. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't think I did, actually. I think I just... Oh, so listening. my face. <laughs> that one episode we did where there was a bit of a, an issue with the editing. And when I was speaking... <laughs> It was just Ed's face. So I was speaking. And Ed was just like... (sighs) (sighs) (laughs) Anyway. When we edit that, can we just have it focused on Matt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. Let's do that. So we're here to talk to you about um, the Home Secretary's repulsive comments about homelessness. Um, Yeah. What Initial initial thoughts from... Should we set it out what it is to start with? Yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't seen... Um, so it was reported that Suella Bravman is planning to introduce legislation that will ban charities from providing tents to homeless people, as well as introducing new penalties in England and Wales for homeless people who authorities believe have rejected offers of help. So what it is, is they're going to, they're, they're trying to rip up the Vagrancy Act, which is an early 19th century act, which makes sleeping rough illegal. Um, or, you know, it's, it's, um, well, it's, yeah, it is illegal. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're gonna, so by ripping that up, they're going to curb homelessness by making tents illegal rather than sleeping rough illegal, which in some in some people's world is a, is a theory. Yeah, yeah. What are your, what are your thoughts, Matt, so far? How, it's perfect, perfect way to show how to kick somebody when they're down. Yep. Um, the idea that in freezing cold temperatures that will be coming up this winter, it would be wise to remove the one, th- one bit of shelter that somebody may have. Um, the thing I kept coming back to is, what problem is this designed to solve? This doesn't solve homelessness. This doesn't solve the housing crisis. This doesn't solve the crisis in mental health. This doesn't solve any particular crisis other than partic- you know, maybe the Tory polling crisis. I think most people have seen through it. Um, it's also dehumanising, the idea to talk about foreigners and people that come to this country are making it sort of a lifestyle choice to live in tents. Uh, government's own figures show that uh, British people, are the majority of people homeless in this country, unfortunately, um, just cruel, beyond cruel. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is a, there's a personal element to this for you, isn't there? Yeah, this I mean, story. I was, I was, uh, a rust, I, I was homeless as a teenager, uh, slept on the streets of Manchester for 12 months. Um, and I, again, these issues are multifaceted. There's no one way to end up homeless. Um, it's not always people's fault. It's very rarely people's fault. Um, I didn't get on with my parents growing up particularly. I was the eldest of four. I think the eldest always gets it that little bit hardest. The parents are figuring out sort of how to do it. Um, didn't finish school and, uh, was groomed, uh, into a gang and, and narrowly avoided going to prison. I was sentenced to 12 months in prison and suspended. Uh, sentence was suspended for 12 months. The idea of what I and others have seen and experienced, that it would be a lifestyle choice to be urinated on, to be fearful of your life and hear drunken voices get louder, particularly on weekends. The idea that it's a lifestyle choice to be beaten up, to be freezing, to be sat out in the rain and have your tent um, sorry, your sleeping bag get wet through and you know become ill. Um, you know, there's to be socially excluded, to be sat there and have people ignoring you. Some out of good conscience because they feel guilty. They don't want to give you change. The charities say don't give people change. Um, it's a lack of understanding, maybe purposeful ignorance. Um, and I. I I was almost annoyed that she'd managed to surprise me. This government for me is, is, you know, nothing is out of the realm of possibility for them. Um, I just think it's going to take some real going to make homeless people the real bugbear of society. And how, for people who haven't experienced homelessness, particularly street homelessness, um, can you explain what it's like to wake up on the streets and like, what that day-to-day is like? What, what, are you, what were you feeling at the time? What was your kind of experience on a day-to-day basis? Waking up to the worst part of the day. Because you, you wake 
if you do sleep. You, you're going to get about a couple of hours probably. Depends on the time of year. It's particularly in the city centre, you're going to get busier periods, whether that be around Christmas and New Year and stuff like that. Summer, so a little bit lighter. Um, waking up is the worst part of the day because you remember where you are mm. and you remember what's what's what the situation is. Um, you traipse from place to place, in Manchester in particular at the time. Different types of homeless people tended to band together. So you'd almost have people over in uh, Chinatown who specifically had mental health issues. They, they had real issues with mental health. Down towards the border with Salford and the train station, it tends to be people that had issues with drugs. You'd have people that would, and they'd almost like gravitate towards each other in communities of their own. Um, you're begging for money. Mm-hmm. You're being ignored. And that, that for me was the, the real issue was, it hit me the hardest that you, you didn't speak to people all day. You didn't speak to a single person. That isolation is soul destroying that you simply don't matter anymore in in this world of billions of people there's nowhere for you to go um there are hostels there are hostels not many left you're safer on the streets in my experience because you're essentially almost imagine being in prison and you're surrounded by people with a multitude of issues you've got to sleep with your eye open because they're going to knit your stuff because they they want to knit the stuff to get the fix or to, to to get whatever whatever it is, the, the desire, some shelter, whatever it might be. Um, so you were better off on the streets. Um, people are generous, don't get me wrong. People are so wonderful. And I think people feel a real sense of powerlessness at wanting to do more mm-hmm. for people on the streets. Um, don't see what that answer is. Uh, I think ultimately it's, it's, it's for the government to look at. You, you had the, the coalition government in 2015 cut the mental health budget by £600 million. So when Theresa May turned up a few years later and said we're putting a record amount of funding into, into the uh, mental health system of a billion pounds, it was only 400, 400, 400, sorry, 400 million up. There's, there's, you know, you're still behind where you should be. Um, there's, there, there's so many, we don't build enough housing, uh, social housing. Um, you also get almost the precursor to Suella Braverman, which is... Um, personal space protection orders, which essentially is, again, designed to just move the system onto the next town. So for those that don't know what they are, you apply for them as a council or a group um, to basically criminalise things that weren't already a criminal act temporarily, and you can have them for up to three years. So you had a situation back up north where I'm from where they tried to ensure that people couldn't beg in the town centre, and if they were found to do that, they'd get, they'd get fined. Well you're just criminalizing homelessness. Mm-hmm. So these people are never moving on. And when they leave prison, they, uh, they've got nowhere to live again. And the cycle persists. Reoffending costs the home office 20 billion quid a year. This is all our money. Um, and rather it going towards things that should be good and progressive for society, we've, you know, we're, we're criminalizing tents. Yeah. Um, there's, no proact- there's nothing proactive in the system. <clears throat> I don't think so. I think because it involves long-term thinking, that might be a problem with our system sometimes. Um, you know, where the electoral system is designed to, to think about the next five years, um, or at this point, not even that. I think you need to look at long-term decades plans where you're looking at an increased element of housing. Um, the amount people are paying on rent is astronomical, particularly in London, but elsewhere it's catching up. Um, mental health system is absolutely bereft of funding and those you know sort of volunteer groups out of charities like Mind and Crisis and others uh, are struggling particularly post-Covid it's also keeping up with demand you know Suella spoke about Seattle and San Francisco any studies done into those sort of places show that they're great economic growth drivers but the housing isn't there to keep up with them so how do you how do you create 500,000 jobs in Seattle, but only build 120,000 houses. The logic isn't there. Um, That's like Glasgow uh, during the uh, uh, ammunition crisis during the war. So, really? yeah, so you could, so they opened up, you know, factories to build ammunition. A lot of people moved into Glasgow and then all of the landlords put rent up threefold. Jesus. Wow. And, well, it, and they didn't build any housing. Yeah. But so, so on, men, on mental health, um, how how endemic do you think mental health is or how how widespread do you think it is amongst the homeless community and do you 
also, what's it like trying to access those services as someone who is sleeping on the streets? Well, it's not there. It's not there. The, it's endemic amongst homeless people. Um, the idea that you can live on the street and not have mental health issues is, is, you know, would be a reach. Um, if you're not homeless, you're, you've got a one in four chance of, um, or one in four people currently have one mental health issue minimum. Um, that's only going to be exacerbated by, by people. It's the same, whether it be prisons, whether it be homelessness. Um, I think you're 35 times more likely to have a mental health issue in prison, but you're sheltered in there. So you mm. take that even more, the figures must be astronomical. Um, you have volunteers groups that, that can only do so much. You've almost got, you know, a group of, of merry men going around and trying to do their best. Um, I was home, homeless during a particular period where there was a lot of squatting in Manchester, particularly people might remember Gary Neville's uh, Stock Exchange Hotel mm. was taken over one Christmas and he allowed people to stay in there over Christmas. Um, I remember one one person in particular who said to me, um, you know, you think moving house is stressful, try moving squat. He says, we've got a load of stuff here that people have donated, but, you know, you, eventually it catches up to you and you've got to try and find another building to put all the stuff in. Um, now, some at home might argue they shouldn't be there in the first place, but I, I suppose when desperate, you'll try and find whatever shelter shelter you can. Um, another another thing I wanted to touch on briefly is is an instance a friend had that nobody had really spoken about is how the immigration system can play into this. So, the Home Secretary wants to talk about the fact that people are coming over here to make a lifestyle choice. I, my, my friend was was born in Zimbabwe moved here very young privately educated very well very very clever manager of a store um did all right for himself his wife left him and uh to put it bluntly took took all his money mm -hmm. he couldn't then pay the home office to do um his next few years of of being allowed in the country therefore he was living in his house illegally wasn't allowed to work. He paid national insurance and tax all of his living life having lived here. Wouldn't leave the house, couldn't eat, had no money. Mm. Was living, you know, hand to mouth at best. W didn't want to go outside because he was terrified, in his words, he'd see a van that was waiting for him. He didn't know if he was being tracked. 12 months on, he's managed to get enough money together through friends and other things and his, his claim has been processed. Only to then lose the house. So he was working at one of the top supermarkets in this country as a manager, not just a shelf stacker, a manager, and was, was on the streets, ringing me, wondering what he could do, knowing I had experience of, of maybe surviving that period. He was homeless for the period of about three months on the streets while still going into work to Jeez. manage one of our largest uh, supermarket names in this country. The idea that it's a lifestyle choice is is so beyond the realms of reality it could not be written what did you think about the language that suella used about tents the, the nuisance tents i think it's it's trying to paint a picture in people's heads um that would turn people against them the idea that everybody's sat in a tent waiting to go out and rob somebody or or you know there's I think what it also plays to, I think about it more widely, is people don't like seeing that stuff, right? None of us like seeing homelessness. It's not nice. It makes us feel guilty. We, we, you know, we end up more feeling more granted for what we've got. What she's saying is, yeah, they are a nuisance. They make us feel uncomfortable. We don't like walking past them. So what we'll do is we'll get rid of them. We won't solve the problem, but what we'll do is we'll get rid of the, the thing that you don't like to see the same way I don't. And if she's only realised it's a problem now, I'd love to know where she's been for the last <laughs> 13 years, unless it's just reached um, her, her, her constituency. And it, it, it's, it's basically picking on low-hanging fruit again, which is the message of this government, which is finding the most extreme cases in society. The whole period I was homeless... I came across one person that said he'd, he'd, he'd chosen to squat. He was a bit of a nomad, a bit of a rebel. He, he you know, he obviously had his own issues and he decided he didn't want to exist in society anymore. He wanted to be a bit of an off-the-gridder. Um, but she's grabbing that extreme and painting it as 
everyday life. Well, even that extreme to me, that sounds like a mental health crisis. Possibly, possibly. Um, that person doesn't seem totally in charge of their faculties. He seemed like someone that would struggle. Um, I think it would be unfair of me to try and diagnose him now. We won't take you then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's, it's not what we would deem as normal, for, for want of a better word. What I, what I don't understand is who this is supposed to appeal to. Maybe I'm being naive. Maybe I think better of people. But do we think there's a large enough consistency in this country of horrible, evil bastards who think this is a good idea, who have such little empathy for people who live, sleep on the streets, whose only source of comfort or warmth or anything is a tent that a charity has given them? Is there a big enough political constituency that this appeals to? Well, do you remember when those two kids, I, they were at, at Oxbridge and they burned the fifth, uh, one of them. They were at, um, they burned that 20 pound note in front oh, of a homeless 50 person. Note, wasn't it? Was it 50? I think it was, it was more than 20. Polling wise, if you look at the country's reaction to that, mm -hmm. I think you can go off of that with, I think that people in the UK are quite empathetic and they don't, they would not quite like to see, you know, tents being kicked off of the streets. I don't think that that's the, the natural reaction. But, you know, during COVID, at the, the beginning of the pandemic, yeah. I was working in Essex Square and um, you, not, you would not see someone sleeping rough. You just didn't see it. And it was because they were all in hotels or in hostels. Um, and then the government, second wave, decided to kick everyone out. And then going to work, you would see a lot of people sleeping rough on Leicester Square. And you think it's amazing how the money and the facilities are there when the government wants them to be. And then the moment they decide they don't want to do it anymore, there's no money left in the pot. There was, I, was, I was in central London today. I, we decided to take the Home Secretary our word and ask people who were experiencing homelessness if this was a lifestyle choice. And the people I spoke to today, the language they were using about their experience, they were, it, it was hell. One guy, hadn't spoke, one, one guy hadn't eaten since last week, hadn't slept in four days. One guy had been like, they were talking about the indignity of it, of people staring at you, of people treating you like, like, like as, as you referenced, treating you like absolute dirt. One, one guy had had hernia surgery two weeks ago and he was sitting on a cardboard boxes and he couldn't stand up. He like physically, and he had like, he, he was like, I've got like an open wound essentially and I don't have somewhere to recuperate from, from surgery. So what you say about these hostels that you can go to, you, so you wouldn't want to go to them anyway, even if the option was open? No. No, it's um, it's not safe. Um, it's it, your and and that that was a problem I I felt with some of the squats. Is you ended up with sort of a leader or somebody trying to keep keep things together. You're getting some of the most vulnerable people in this country with such varying depth of issues all in one room and expecting them just to get on. Um, it's, it's, it's not going to happen, unfortunately. Um, I think it's useful in the sense of people have somewhere warm to go in, in weather that is no doubt pending. Um, but I honestly, as ridiculous as it sounds, felt better not in one of those and, and on the streets. You know, it's fascinating as well because what she, what, what Braverman was saying during when she was trying to qualify what she'd said about, you know, removing tents she argued that it was foreign nationals, you know, it was an immigration problem. I found that argument fascinating because every single time we talk about small boats crisis, there's a quote unquote crisis, um, there's an argument that we should be helping our own and we should be helping the homeless people mm. who live on our streets. And it's like, okay, so we've had small boats week, that argument was used then. Now we're talking about the homeless. They're a problem as well. Yeah. At, at, at what point does does human empathy come into anything that that any policy that that woman wants to put down? I just I, I honestly am starting to think that she is devoid of any human emotion. Does, yeah, I, <laughs> it wouldn't shock, wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't also, shock the love to see Johnny Mercer as well as come and talk about this. Sorry, the, the veterans minister, because you know if, what the the British Legion estimates about four thousand people who sleep are sleeping rough are veterans. The guy the guy I spoke to today who didn't who didn't um, eat since last week was a veteran. And it was like, it's, it's incredible. It just seems it's completely devoid of empathy, logic. The whole thing is 
but what what is what do you think is the motivation? Is it just to spread more evil? Is there like a? I think that it probably falls under their. If I, if I'm being generous, it falls under their antisocial um, remit, which is we're going to clean up town centres. That is what makes it the most heinous, because it's you're you're characterising these people as as a problem. Uh, unsightly. That's what you're essentially yeah, it, saying. They, they're an imposition on all these people are making you sad. Don't worry. We'll take them away. We'll, we'll take care of them. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's the Politics Show podcast. Oh, you know what we could also talk about is Natalie Elphick mm. coming yeah, out. She was furious about it. She mm. put her... Um, her upset on Twitter for Most everyone to see. Having a normal human reaction. You know, if you've upset Natalie Elphick, the MP for Dover, who can usually be found, you know, <laughs> shouting something pretty abysmal about uh, people who've had to risk their lives by crossing the channel, you've really, you've really upset the wrong crowd there. You've upset everyone. So, so she said, in all of her years in tackling homelessness, the, the no one has ever suggested banning tents. Yeah. Well, even a stop clock is right twice a day. I would say about <laughs> Natalie um, no, it's, I mean, because it, again, it, it comes back to my main thing. I always try and look at things in a logical, evidence-based solution when it comes to policy. And I cannot fathom what problem this is aiming to solve because it is, I don't think tents are the problem of our city centres or town centres. I think people being homeless and finding themselves in different levels of homelessness is, a, is, is the problem. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I don't think it's far, far to say, you know, we're, we're a, it's not just a housing crisis. We're a country in crisis. Mm -hmm. People can't access healthcare, dentistry. We're, we're going to go back to a, a time if we're not careful of children being like from pre-Victorian era with no teeth. This yeah. is, this is a real realistic, it's like the 1834 poor law in which before the welfare state, if you didn't have any money, you weren't treated. You were reliant on charities. That's where we're heading. We're not ultimately that far from it when we look at policies like this. A lot of homelessness is reliant heavily on charities anyway. And that's what, you know, just a, a quick mention for the charities like Shelter, mm. who do incredible work, you know, reliant heavily on donations. You're going to now penalise. You've already... You've already offset your expenditure to charities, right? Which arguably is a problem, you know, the welfare state is responsible for. You've already offset your charges to a charity and to donations. Now you're going to try and penalise the charities. It's mm. almost like it's like full circle here. It's like, yeah, let's bankrupt shelter. And then, then what? Yeah, it's, it's like, let's undo all the welfare reforms of the Atlee government. And let's strip back Lazy Fair even more. Yeah. Like we're going back, like you said, we're going back to pre-Victorian era, kind of attitudes towards destitution. Which is weird because arguably, you know, pushing your pushing your or your monetary issues onto a charity is quite small state, quite small state mm. conservative. Yeah. What, do you, what do you want? You want no government at all? <laughs> no nothing? regulation. If no you nothing. went around and you asked people, actually, maybe this would be a good box for us. Um, Planning, well, planning while we're here. <laughs> but I, I would argue if you went round and you asked people, are you content with a penny of your taxes that you pay every week going towards homelessness, tackling homelessness, you would be hard-pressed to find someone who said no. It, the evil bastard constituents that Swell Bradman is going for. 
Yeah. That that wing, the, the evil wing of the Conservative Party is going to become really powerful. One next guy election. boldly declares, no, I want all my money on the license fee, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> the one anti anti state but pro license fee conservative voter. Yes. He's a, he's a guy. I think it comes back to your question, though, of who's this going to reach and are we really that uh, unempathetic as a country? We saw similar with the small boats situation in the summer when uh, people were going after the lifeboats and sort of saying they shouldn't be going out, they should be leaving them to drown, there's some sort of more extreme uh, realms of, of political commentary. What you saw is an increase in donations to the RNLI. Mm -hmm. And what I hope and would urge everybody to do is go and donate to these charities that rely on the, the money so heavily to ensure that this doesn't actually impact homeless people uh, the way it unfortunately will do if Sorella Braverman has her way. Um, penny for help for heroes thoughts, to be honest with you. Mm. And the, the, those that correctly advocate for, for those that have sacrificed themselves in many ways for this country, um, as you've been, you know, the guy in Leicester Square and whatnot like is I'd love to know what they have to say on this. Mm. Um, I can't imagine they're going to be very happy at all. This issue compounded as well by the government closures of many um, institutions that used to help veterans, right? So, I mean, there was a huge, huge centre in Headley Court, I think I'm right in saying, in Surrey, that used to cater to a lot of, you know, the a lot of people who had served in the army, gone. You know, it's, it's issues, it, mm. it's like, oh, we're closing everything. There's suddenly more homeless people. I, how is the maths mathing, you know? Mm -hmm. I think you can't let big businesses off the hook either. Um, if you look at the, the cases that Suella brought forward, the two, the two states, um, Seattle is home to Microsoft and Amazon. And the growth there is fantastic for people's jobs. The problem is because of the lack of housing. This is not just, you know... Uh, homeless veterans or people with mental health issues, this is ordinary families who seem from the outset 2.4 children to have this really nice middle-class life who, whether it be no fault evictions in this country or similar, are being priced out. People in Seattle pay 60% and in San Francisco, 75% of their below average earnings on rent. Now, way back when, in a, in a, you know, a distant time, you used to have big companies that used to look after their uh, employees like Joseph Roundtree who would build houses for their workers because they understood in a capitalist system you will always have more productivity when you have a workplace that's actually motivated to go in not you know <laughs> looking over their shoulder every two minutes waiting for the brown envelope to come through and and be told actually I'm selling the house now because the Tories have wrecked the, gov uh, the, the economy um, so you've got two months mm. for you and your kids to go and find a four-bed house which in certain London boroughs, social housing, you're waiting 20, 25 years mm. on a waiting list. It's just totally um, unsustainable is what I'd say. Yeah, totally less big tech, more, more Peabody. <laughs> more, <laughs> more workhouses. <laughs> well, that's, that's the politics jewel whoa, line. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Absolutely. Whoa. Charles Dickens was right, wrong. Whoa. What did he think about it? Yeah, I've yeah. only seen the film. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's my only experience of workhouses. So apart from workhouses, Matt, what do you think should happen? <laughs> I can rephrase that if you not don't want to be with those yes. comments. Not, not work out. It's decent quality housing from bosses that could well afford it for a start. I think Jeff Bezos could totally build a, a little village for, for people in Seattle and elsewhere. Hell. I'm not living there. <laughs> very Black Mirror-esque. You can only um, pee at midnight. <laughs> You're being inefficient. But like that Simpsons episode where Sean Connery is, is the voice of the house and the house actually turns evil <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and tries to, tries to kill them all. Um, no, I think on a, on a serious note, you need investment. And it's funny, you touched over on um, the money's there when, when there is a need for it. We showed during the COVID pandemic that homelessness is a political choice. Um, this isn't a lifestyle choice from homeless people. This is a political choice from an inept government who isn't willing to act. You need investment in mental health services as well as increased training. Those people probably need paying properly so that they're actually willing to go into these, these sort of sectors. You need a huge house building program similar to that of the, the 40s Atlee government. Um, you need, the government doesn't even have a alcohol strategy. Um, the last one was released over a decade ago. Um, so the idea that we're even in any way uh, advocating for services, so Ella says, oh, we're investing more money in them. You haven't got a strategy for helping these people. So what are you putting your money into? Apparently not tents. 
but it's it's there's um so therefore there's no drug strategy um there's there's none of this stuff and it's it, what it needs is joined up thinking and what i would hope in a in a real moment of utopia and maybe naivety is this isn't political this is this is looking after a country um which everybody can get around the table and agree on but at the bare minimum you need to put roofs over people's heads now if it's going to cost you a fortune with hotels in the short term that's your fault you've not acted for 13 years unfortunately you're going to have to house these people or you're going to let them die because what you're essentially mandating for um with this policy is a mandate for murder is state-sponsored murder that's as, that's as simple as it is um you're allowing these people to die on the streets through your own action and any action you are taking is withdrawing some of the only shelter they've got on that bleak don't <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you very much for coming in matt and giving your really valuable perspective on on this issue might embarrass you matt but i'm so glad to call you one of my best friends <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> Feelings mutual. We can cut that out if you like. Oh, nice. Keep that in. Very awesome. Thank you, Matt. That was powerful, wasn't it? He is one of the most eloquent people I know. Yeah, thoughtful. Yeah. Sharp suit as well. Sharp suit. Very underdressed. That's why I keep stressing he works for a Labour MP. People with nice clothes can work for any party. That's not the rule, I don't think. Why? Who, Who do they usually... Who do ugly dressers usually work No, I, d- I don't know. I think you've got to sort of, you know, what if you work for a Labour MP, you've got to come in wearing some sort of hipster get up, I guess. You know, that's the <laughs> like something, suit. you know, everyone's from Islington, apparently, if you work for the Labour Party uh-huh. and, uh, you know, all of that jazz. Yeah, yeah. So you wear, you know, just hemp. Yeah, pure hemp. Pure everywhere. Hemp. Get out of my pub! It's the Politics Show podcast. Nadine Doris, she's back. She's back. With a bang. We missed her. Um... Yeah, it was pretty nuts. That's what, what we're about to talk about. Uh, she claimed in her <laughs> Sorry, the book is so funny. Sorry, I've been laughing at the title of the book. Yeah. <laughs> She's claimed in her new book, The Plot, The Political Assassination of Boris Johnson. Just want to be upfront. It's very funny that she's written this book. That is funny. Do you agree? No, because I think that an upstanding member of parliament should have been serving her constituents rather than writing a book. And the timeline of this would suggest that while she was still in charge of that constituency, she was off tapping away. Yeah, we all, but we, all, we knew that. We're not but so, you know, Ed, if you want to have your little joke. Well, I think, okay. Sorry. Please. <laughs> sorry, about, sorry about the premise of this podcast. Which we, <laughs> it's just supposed to be funny. No, all of this is a ploy. Please stop saying horrible things about me on the Reddit. Please. <laughs> As everything Ava says today needs to be understood in those terms. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And me as well, actually. You can go do the beaver memes again. No, shit, that's Ollie. Do the tuna thing. Yeah. Yeah. Get in with fish. Yeah. I'll watch it. Um, yeah. Some pretty astonishing allegations um, about behavior of conservative MPs. Uh, a conservative colleague told Nadine that a woman who reported to party chief that she'd been raped by an MP uh, there was, who had. The MP had given her a date rape drug. No further action was taken. And a second complaint about, about the same MP was made by a vulnerable woman who was too frightened to go to the police with her story when her mental health declined. Party lawyers are said to have organised for her to have treatment funded by the Tories, mm. which is... And so the chairman at the time, Jake Berry, mm-hmm. reported this to the, the police. police. Last December, there was a story about an MP having been reported to the police over potential sexual assault allegations. The question is now, is this the same MP? And if it was the same MP, it means when the Deputy Prime Minister Oliver Dowden was on Laura Koonsberg yesterday and he was saying things like, this is not known to the party and I didn't know about this and we didn't do any cover-up, that would suggest he's not telling the truth, which would be so unlike government ministers. Yeah. Because they are normally very upstanding Members of society. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Um, Put that on the Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> Just the most banal points of the sentence. <laughs> so this is another one of the... seems like every week there's another horrendous story about sexual assault at Westminster. There is... I would describe it as an epidemic yeah. um, in the Houses of Commons. Because it's not necessarily... I think that the, the, the stories that make the headlines and have the most shock factor are the members of parliament who mm-hmm. are accused of assault. But there's also um, <clears throat> a lot of staffers uh, who work for those members of parliament who are also accused of assault. 
and there have been various women not I, I mean women I've spoken to in a personal capacity as well it's, it's very very difficult to report mm-hmm. on the sexual allegations um and a lot of that is to do with the structure of parliament. So there's no there's no um, direct line of authority. So within the House of Commons, the House of Commons is not your employer. The member of parliament that you work for, or the lord that you work for, is your employer. So there's no HR department. Mm-hmm. And the person you might go to for human resources would be um, their office manager. And you're not allowed to do this anymore, but... A lot of the, it used to be that the office manager would be their wife. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of cases, well, we can talk about this one. Natalie Elphick, who we just spoke about, Charlie Elphick, there were some allegations against him who used to be the former member of parliament for Dover. The office manager was Natalie Elphick, mm-hmm. his wife. Yeah. So you can imagine the person who wanted to make those allegations is not going to go to the to his wife to report them. And there isn't another structure in place. There isn't a person to go to that is like a catch-all, mm-hmm. you know, unless you go to the speaker's office. Now, if you have just been assaulted, this is not me apportioning blame to the speaker in any sense of the word, that's not the place you want to go, no. you know? I suppose because it's, so, it's such a, from an outsider's perspective, it's just such a labyrinth of Byzantine-like place of work there's no clear structures there, there needs to be like an hrification of westminster seemingly to get even the most basic kind of rights or protections that literally anywhere else any other workplace you you get you're afforded those rights you have a separate hr manager and you have a right to representation in interviews if you're you've you're supported if you're making a complaint against someone well i'll present you with another argument which is why okay so say you had a separate body in parliament mm-hmm. that was that just dealt with allegations or bullying sexual whatever you know horrendous thing you've experienced say you had a se- separate team that dealt with that the way this is not me excusing it before anyone mm-hmm. thinks i am but the way that the commons works is that everyone knows each other Mm-hmm. And it's basically like being the whole place is like a kind of cumulative workplace, right? And everyone is so gossipy. You know, you go down to the bar on a Monday evening and people are gossiping. I can imagine if you went to, say, said hypothesized institution to report an allegation of something, you would be fodder for gossip later that evening mm-hmm. in the bar. That is the nature of how yeah. it works. Even that, but surely that's even mental. As in, like, if we were to go for a drink after work, it would be outside off the workplace there wouldn't be any vested interest in like there's there's like it's a completely separate thing as yeah most... but it's, it doesn't work like that with them can you imagine though also just ob- objectively me and you going to the pub after work and going isn't it hilarious that sean's having a pretty rough time at work <laughs> like just hypothetically <laughs> yeah, imagine doing but that also, like also there's so many things you don't do at work because you, you're aware of like professional standards about how this will affect your you know, you, just don't, you behave professionally at work. And that just seems to be completely missing from things in Westminster. And like the stories you say, tell me are like, that is absolutely fucking nuts. Yeah. About the behavior of people. It just seems, everyone just seems to take leave of their senses or like they're, I don't know. They do seem to take leave of their senses. And I do think it's also to do with like another prevailing power structure, which is that you are arguably, you've got, recent graduates who are working with some of the most powerful people in the country yeah, mental. and i think that that power dynamic oh. is so unhealthy it's just people who people who say you've joined an mp to work as a researcher or a caseworker or something like that and you're you ultimately want to be an mp for whichever party and that and the way that you achieve that is going up the party structure you wouldn't want you you might not want to jeopardize that in any way mm. and reporting your boss for sexual assault that would probably jeopardize your chances of being an MP for that party. Yeah. I mean, we've said it many times on here before. The I, What would be going through your head after you've had the most horrific thing happen to you is not, um, it's not, let me let me go straight and do this through the, the proper channels and let me make sure that all procedure is followed correctly. Mm-hmm. What is probably going through your head is, you know... Um, you're probably bouncing off the walls mm. and you don't know which way mm. is up and you probably feel like you're drowning. 
And it, there's nothing that is more irksome than those little bots on Twitter who, have, who always reply to reports of sexual allegations with, well, you should have gone to the place then. Yeah. It's like, all right, Paul. Yeah. Sorry that you weren't there to help her or him mm. through this troubling time. Your logic would have been helpful. <laughs> you know? <laughs> there's also, I think, because people who work in Parliament are... In t well, there's obviously so many different jobs in Parliament, but if you put it on like a party basis, there's people who are like ultimately rivals for, like my job is to get your job, excuse me, my job is to get your boss sacked, essentially. Mm. I want your boss to lose his job at the next election. So it's like an in inherently like oppositional thing. So I can't imagine there's much like worker solidarity across people who are working for different parties. But is it, do you think that's an element of like there hasn't been this like movement of like workers' rights? Is that naive? Yes and no. Yes, I agree with you in theory. Mm -hmm. I think actually there's a lot of um, self-promotion that mm -hmm. goes on. So I don't even think it's about, I'm not going to be friends with you because you're from a different party and I'm trying to strategically do X, Y, and Z. I think a lot of it is um, sometimes... Look, this is not all staffers. I know a lot of really excellent staffers. One of them has just appeared on this podcast. Yeah. Um, and I know loads of them who I really, really like. However, politics does attract a certain kind of person that is so self-obsessed, so self-orientated. Think Matt Hancock and what's coming out during the COVID inquiry. You know, like how what's coming out during the inquiry is basically like this man didn't care that thousands of people were dying he used that cricket metaphor, like they knock it to me and I knock it right back. <laughs> I knock it for six. That kind of self-promotion and self-obsession is rife in that building. Mm. And, and he was George Osborne's staffer, wasn't he? And then, you know, what did he become? Exactly. Isn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fewer promotions from within Parliament is the answer. Maybe. Do you think that if COVID hadn't happened, Matt Hancock would have made it higher up the cabinet to chain? If COVID, so COVID didn't happen, I'm trying to work out what else happens in this so like alternative history. Say there has been a pandemic. Presumably Boris Johnson has quite a strong legislative agenda. Yeah, so say Boris Johnson is with still a massive Prime majority. Minister. We're winning the war so, on something. Uh, we, we're at war with Italy. And we, we're winning. Well, as we should. <laughs> um, we're um, at war with Spain over work from home legislation. <laughs> <laughs> And Matt Hancock is the first admiral. <laughs> Siestas. <laughs> uh, I was going to go, this is a, are, are you a Gilbert and Sullivan fan? I don't know where you're going to go with this. Do you know HMS Pinafore? No. Okay, well, this is, there's a, a joke in HMS Pinafore that like, I think Wait, he's... Sean, do you know what HMS Pinafore is? That, well, it's a... I was going to make him sit here just for that joke. <laughs> it's a, it, for those who aren't blessed to know the Gilbert and Sullivan comic operas it's a there's a joke in NHS Pinafore that like the first Lord First Admiral of the entire British Navy hates being <laughs> hates being at sea and that's basically who Matt Hancock is if he was the first admiral that's one for the real heads yeah I really like how much of our audience do you think would would like that joke well I think we'll find out won't yeah we? if you're a GNS fan then drop a comment yeah um what do you make you make quite a good point on Twitter why is this coming out in a serialized <laughs> newspaper? Yeah. Thing, rather than, like, it was a year after the fact that this has come out? Yeah. So I, what I don't understand is I can't wrap my head around if you are privy to that knowledge, why on earth you weren't shouting it from the rooftops? You know, there's been an accusation of rape and I'm so confident in it that I'm going to run it in the, the Daily Mail and my, I'm going in, to write it in my book. Yeah. But I wasn't confident enough at the time to shout about it. Mm. I mean, it's, it's pure politicking, right? Because I guess money was up for Nadine at the time. You know, she was still a secretary of state. And so she didn't want to ruffle any feathers. But on a human level, come on. Yeah. Why have you reserved that for your book? Grim. Mm. Do you think there should be fewer bars in Parliament? Do, do you know, I hate that question. Really? Because I don't, like... I have to give an answer that yeah. is so distasteful to most people who listen to it because I, when I say it, I hear the words coming out of my mouth and I hate them, uh -huh. which is 
I'm like, well, this is what Parliament is, you know? <laughs> this is what the lobby is, is the lobby is, um, if the lobby was, you know, functioning correctly, you go, you, you go and meet with members of Parliament in, in the bar where you know they'll be, and in a more relaxed setting, you start to understand policy a bit more, and you pick up tidbits, and you gossip, and that kind of thing. See, I'm saying it, and I, I hate what I'm saying. Mm. But I suppose, I suppose, actually, I don't even really mean from a journalism perspective. I mean from like a, because I, I, I think journalists in Westminster is kind of like they're, it's like a separate entity for people who like work, yeah, with work for MPs, work in the more like actually like politiciany. Well, the bit. other side of the argument would be. Does uh, does excessive alcohol drinking excuse someone from sexual assaulting? And the answer to that would be no, it should not. No. So, but does it? I wonder if it blurs the lines between like professional, like what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, as in like for, on the on the part of the perpetrator. So my when I drink, mm -hmm. I don't sexually assault. That is just like one thing I'm categorically sure of. And no, I don't point. cross a line with it. No. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's what you were alluding to. Sometimes when I drink, I say things that probably I wouldn't say. <laughs> you know, I might be like, you know, oh, <laughs> mate, that's a shit policy. <laughs> You're texting government minister, but like... I but you know, but you, but I wouldn't ever do anything that was beyond the pale. No. And I know that. And so I... I but you're a good person. And we found that there's lots whoa, of... Whoa, Ed. Well, sorry. Was, that was well, really nice of you. Give it, oh, look at you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't mean all of that. But, but like, as in, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. there's clearly, clearly a proliferation of horrible bastards within Parliament. But does that mean that... I mean... Horrible bastards will be horrible bastards, no matter if they're drinking in a parliamentary bar or in the red line around the corner, but then, right? But then, if, but then if there wasn't, would you drink in Westminster if there wasn't somewhere to get pissed at in Parliament? Yeah, yeah, you would, yeah. You'd, you'd, because but like they a, do. But on a social level is what I mean. As in like, say you're a young yeah. staffer, would you? They would because they don't, because the, the staffers who don't work there but might work in the Treasury or whatever, they just drink around Victoria. Or they drink yeah. in the, the, the Red Lion or they drink at the Unheard Bar or, you know, there's plenty of places where they go that don't just go to the... Because also staffers can't go into the parliamentary bars unless they're... A com well, one of them, Strangers, which is where everyone wants to go because the MPs are there. They can't go in unless their MP takes them. Such a mental structure. Even that's nuts. Like, of course that's nuts. Like, I think it's... I'm, I'm, I think I can raise it. Raise, I do, do you know, one, one ground, thing I would say... Office, no bars. One thing I would genuinely advocate for is the subsidies. I think that is outrageous. The subsidies argument is mental. Yeah. Like, people, people are like, well, people aren't paid very well and they have to, they have to like sign in out of the office and go and get lunch. Yeah. Like and then everyone those people else. making those arguments will be outside of it going like, oh, well, you know, these people who are on welfare, they, they want to drink and eat food and that's outrageous, <laughs> you know? No, it's mental. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. In some, mental, some mental bit from Nadine's column, the Tory Whip's office has a video of a minister engaged in, a, in an adulterous sexual act, seemingly, allegedly. Yeah. That is nuts. That's a mental thing to have. Other MPs were watching on. It might not be that situation. No, I think they were, they, they were actually watching someone have sex on a billiards table. The whole thing's fucking mental. I mean that... Like, what is that? Like, you're, if, if you are listening, <laughs> horrible pigs, you're horrible fucking weird cunts. You're, you're, you're an absolute wrong'un. Like, you know, though, you know what it's reminded me of? Is what? that picture... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> picture of Sean playing Paul <laughs> so Sean was so Sean was um, being railed on a pool table and we were there <laughs> there's a really, no for context there's a really funny photo of we were playing pool and we're all quite drunk and I was eating pizza and Sean, I was sitting down Sean's arse is just in my face <laughs> that sounds so bad. Yeah. Um, Sean Sean didn't know Ed was there. <laughs> he did. He absolutely did. <laughs> did he? No, I don't know. Um, and Ed was eating. <laughs> eating like the pizza. No, you were eating a calzone. <laughs> oh, yeah, like an absolute. We'd maniac. gone out for we'd gone out for like pizza and drinks and we'd like drank way too much and not eaten all day. Mm -hmm. Pizza came way too late to like salvage oh, <laughs> any of our... Eating a whole calzone it was like Yeah. Barely eating it. It's so funny that picture. It's a very funny photo. Um, <laughs> is, that, is that all for Nadine? Is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, 
No, that's good for me. Not another one. It's the Politics Show podcast. People are concerned that a planned Palestine Solidarity March on Saturday, which is Armistice Day, is going to... Um, people are, are very worried about it. And Rishi Sunak wrote to Met Commissioner Sir Mark Rowley saying there is a clear and present risk that war memorials such as Cenotaph, uh, such as the Cenotaph could be desecrated. Philip Braverman said it was entirely unacceptable to desecrate Armistice Day with a hate march through London. What are your thoughts? So armistice, which is obviously synonymous with ceasefire. Um, oh, sorry. God, I shouldn't say that. It's a dreadful <laughs> thing to say. I hate when I point out things that are true. Um, <laughs> oh. That was the most smug thing you ever said. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's your, um, that's your Twitter bio. It's definitely not the most smug thing I've ever said. Well, in my company, I've maybe. said way worse stuff than that. Maybe. Um yeah, so a march that is not planned to go anywhere near Whitehall or the Cenotaph mm-hmm. is going to pose a risk to Whitehall and the Cenotaph. After uh, after um, the silence at 11 a.m., it's a completely different time. It's after the fact. It is at a completely different time. But it's 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 the um, the whipping up of hatred that is being sown about this march. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the planting of, well, no one better interrupt the two-minute silence. It's like, yeah. No one better interrupt the two-minute silence. Mm. You know what I was thinking about today as well? You know, there was a Palestinian regiment during World War II. Really? Yeah, there was. Hang on. Do you know what... um, I suppose the argument is... Oh, can I tell you what it is? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, I really did... I I thought I had it right there. Here we go. So it was an infantry regiment of the British Army that was formed in 1942. It was deployed to Egypt. Most of their work consisted of guard duty... Uh, some of them were killed in Benghazi where they fought heavy, heavy battles against the Germans. Um, yeah, that kind of feels like that two-minute silence sort of includes them. You know, if that was like a British regiment of the army. Do you know what? It's something, obviously, people, people feel really strongly about Remembrance Day. And I think it's important to recognise that people, the people who did die in service to this country, I think it's like an appropriate thing to do, regardless of like the politics of it. People regardless of where they fought. There's people who died, which is dreadful. And they, I, think, I think they should be remembered. What I don't really agree with is that that is an all-encompassing physical state of remembrance. That's the argument. And it's so disingenuous because even the biggest proponent of um, Armistice Day and Remembrance Sunday, they do not spend a weekend in a full state of remembrance. Like, there's... People are saying this is a distraction on Remembrance Day. Okay, cancel football matches. Yeah. Cancel, don't go to cinema. Don't see your friends. You sit and think. It's, it's that The expectation on Remembrance Day, Remembrance Sunday and um, on Armistice Day is that at 11, you have a minute silence. That is, the, that is the conventional, that is the convention. And people talking about British traditions need to be respected. That is the tradition that's being respected. People can have two opinions. Mm-hmm. People can sit and think about the people who died in World War I and then they could, they're could well within the rights to go and march in solidarity with Palestine. Because also that is all encompassing. It's not just about World War I. Yes, of course it is. Yeah, right? yeah. It's about, you know, all, you know, all of the wars. The, the one thing I found like so frustrating about the, the, the right-wing commentariat during this time is their need to, to qualify who in their family where it was in the army, where they fought, what regiment or whatever. And mm. they're like, my grandfather did this. My dad, okay, well, my very, you know, family members who are basically my age, a couple of years younger, mm. were in the army and have done several tours. I don't feel the need to shout about that because most people in this country have someone who yeah. fought in the army. It's not like a right and left wing thing. I don't know if you know about conscription, but that was going on <laughs> during World War yeah. II and quite a lot of people therefore signed up for the army. Yeah, and after. I think, I think as well, people... I made this point, not to mention it, but I was actually on television on yeah. Saturday. And you it, looked great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, you. You really did. The light really hit you well, you know? Yeah. I thought, yeah. It was, just, it was the thrill of, of television, of, of the, the, the small screen. Um, but I made the point that, I'm just going to repeat it, that... People who died in war, which I imagine was quite hellish. I think that's a pretty grim way to go, being surrounded by, I don't know, in, a, in war. War's trench bad. foot. Trench foot. Do people, anyone die of trench foot? I wouldn't like it, would you? I don't think, can you die of trench foot? Well, probably. Maybe if you've got some kind of illness related to the trench foot. 
but okay, I, I don't know if your feet get cold and muddy and wet enough for a long amount of time i'm sure you get some form of pneumonia it'll be more okay. susceptible to yeah. it yeah Maybe, but anyway, whether or not you, you died. Did I interrupt of, your point? <laughs> whether or not you know died of being blown up or died of trench. Leave us food. a comment. Do you reckon you could? <laughs> like you would, and I, they, I don't think you would mind advocating for less war. I think, I think also as well, people say, "Oh, this is disrespectful." Oh, they like they wouldn't like it. See, because whenever I think about Remembrance Day, I think I do think about like the World War One soldiers. If you were to have a conversation with them about this, there's a whole lot you'd have to explain. Yeah. They would not. The state of what? Yeah. Is doing what? Yeah. I think they wouldn't. They'd be like, oh, yeah, no, I, I didn't really like war. Oh, shit. It's going to be. Yeah, you know, a lot of them of came back with some pretty bad, uh, pretty bad PTSD, actually. Yeah. Or um, all the white feather lot. They were in a, a lot of trouble as yeah, well. Yeah, dreadful. I can't imagine a lot of people who really did actually go and fight the young boys. It's particularly, I mean, I've been to the Somme. You've been to the Somme? You know, Actually, not been to the Somme. Where the, okay, well, <laughs> says a lot about him, doesn't it? <laughs> hey. Anyway, back to where I was as an upstanding member of society. Um, <laughs> you know, you go to the poppy fields and you look at where the young boys were forced to jump over the trenches mm -hmm. and to walk out basically into their deaths. You can appreciate that and also appreciate that people dying in modern warfare is bad. Yeah. Those two things, those two thoughts should be linked in your brain, right? Mm. Yeah. You shouldn't go, we're just preserving the sanctity of that terror. That terror, you should be able to elongate your empathy over the last century, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> that, a hundred years ago, very bad. This, very, very good. Yeah. That's, that's the, that, um, what do you think of the... Oh, this is mental. Actually, I just remembered this. Um, <laughs> Someone text in to, so I was on talk TV and they text into talk radio, I guess, or the bus. It's the same thing, isn't it? Whatever. Someone text in to say that as a result of the kind of the discussion around the hate march that's going to like desecrate the cenotaph, uh, don't worry, football fans will be there defending the cenotaph. Specifically, this guy wrote in to say fans of Millwall, West Ham and Palace will be there congregating, defending the memorial which I think is very conducive to public order. I think that's a very sensible thing to happen. And I think that should be encouraged. And Why can you not just go and show your respect? Because it the... it's about to be desecrated. They need, they need to guard it. By who? Do you know what, though? I really hope that some idiot doesn't go and disturb the... Like, after all of this discussion, I really hope some idiot doesn't go and disturb the two-minute silence. Yeah, I also hope that. But I, I really, I, I maintain that, okay, so that was something I said this morning as well. Sorry, since we're talking about being on television. Being on television. <laughs> being on television. Um, George Bernard Shaw, huge playwright, brilliant mm -hmm. playwright, one of Britain's most beloved. We all love Pygmalion or My Fair Lady, mm -hmm. right? Um, when Save the Children was being set up, he was asked, why, why do you support Save the Children? He was like, well, funnily enough, I don't have any enemies who are under the age of seven. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that is a genuine sentiment that most people who go on those marches are, you know, are marching for, right? You're looking at images of, well, the last time I checked, it was 3,600. It's got to be more than that now. Children who have been killed mm -hmm. on the Gaza Strip. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're looking at images of little babies who are covered in soot and cut, you know, it, horrendous images. Images that other humans shouldn't even see, let alone other humans should be experiencing. Mm -hmm. That's what they're marching against, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, look, no one's denying the complexity of fighting Hamas, right? No one is arguing or justifying that the October 7th attacks, you know, justifying them in, in any sense of the word. Mm -hmm. The argument, the cohesive argument on this march is this is appalling and people are dying and the scale of the Israeli defense is is not justifiable. Mm. That's what they're arguing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's... And again, it goes back to you having two thoughts at the same time. Mm -hmm. There is not, I, I don't think that you are a proper human unless you can look at the images of those, how many is it? 30, 30 children? It might be more. The hostages. 30, yeah, 30 children who are currently hostages in the Gaza Strip mm -hmm. under Hamas. If you look at that and you think anything other than that is desperate and I feel sick, mm -hmm. you're an animal. Yeah. 
in the same way as if you look at the children who are being murdered in the Gaza Strip and feel anything but that compassion, yeah. you're an animal. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's just the discussion around this is so blunt and there's no nuance. Yeah, and and, and as we, I think we talked about it a lot. There's no space for nuance in the public discourse of this. No. So I hope I hope we've added some there, perhaps. I don't. I don't even know if it's no. I think that there's a there's a loud minority who are interpreting things in bad faith. You know, like I think that there's a. I you know it's like anonymous a, a couple of anonymous accounts I was reading over the weekend, and you just think like how can you look at either side of this argument and think that it's justifiable for people to be suffering in that way? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Should we leave it there? Is there anything else you'd like to to add? To say? Well, yeah, we've got. Um, you can go and watch our. Um, it will be out by the time. Will it be out, Sean? Do you reckon by the time this uh, <laughs> just concludes? <laughs> our Elbit Systems piece. Well, what, what Sean, treat? depending, I would have thought there will be a film on um, an action on the Politics Joe um, website about uh, the factory that supplies arms to the IDF which you might be interested in. Yes. And I made a, f- a, a film about the same, a different factory. A you did. Um, you did make it a couple of months ago, yeah. Yeah, Leicester. Yeah. Um, a lot of factory-based content. You, I went Kent, you went Leicester. Yeah, and that says a lot about us. Yeah, so <laughs> we, we don't go any further. <laughs> Strict Midlands. Yeah. No further north. Um, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. As always, join us for some informed, nuanced debate in the subreddit r slash politics joe um is there anything else you'd like to plug yeah or something heinous in my dms why not yeah Look. don't do that let's, yeah. let's discourage that don't send it to me instead let's see yeah. what happens then send ed your penis <laughs> is that like what's is that like an an aa thing or something like you go to take a drink but you do something else like you try and replace one bad behavior ed i've been thinking about sending over my penis <laughs> <laughs> so yes i'm your sponsor in the yeah in the dick pic anonymous <laughs> We get like your girlfriend to filter them instead. Like oh my God. she'd actually really, yeah. Like that's That'd the. Let's not do that. It's like let me just check on it first. <laughs> let me just. <laughs> <laughs> that was heinous. Anyway, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Eva. Thank you. Thanks Ed, everyone. Was it? Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> Grant. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.